Hi, my name is Dan Bauer. Hi, my name is Earl Supley. My name is John Rapp. Mandy Cromings. Hi, my name is Greg Cromings. Paul Younger. Dave Shuey. Nelson Randolph. My name is Tim Werner. John Listing. My name is Jay Reinhardt. I'm Dave Bailey. Sam Adams. Chris Billig. Steve Hatfield. And I. And I. And I. And I am a deacon. I serve on the Financial Advisory Committee. I serve on the Helps Committee. Ushering Committee. Ministry to Men. Health Committee. Helps Committee. Food Bank. I am a life group host and leader, and I serve in the ordinance of communion and baptism. The Financial Advisory Committee. The Finance Committee. I serve on the Helps Committee. The Youth Group. Stockades. The Helps Committee. I usher on security. I'm also on the admin committee and serve as an usher. I serve as the youth group leader on the widow's care ministry at the food pantry on the helps committee. I serve on the band ministry and the guest reception. Amen. We appreciate all of those men, don't we? Praise God for our deacons. Morning, everybody. Let's stand up. Grab your Bibles. If you're able to stand up, let's honor the Lord and His Word and read together 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. This is what Christ died for. Two offices in the church, elders and deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Verse 11, their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord Jesus, we thank You for dying for all of us, calling us into your service. All the myriads of ways that people in this room serve. And this morning we want to especially honor the deacons and talk about the deacons. And you are the chief deacon of us all. We thank you that you came to serve, not to be served, and to give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, this is one of the most difficult texts in the Bible. John mentioned study, and I studied all week long. And so many people have different interpretations. And so we're just asking that you would help. Help me to understand this. Help us to understand this. Help us to submit to it as best as we can in honor of you, in honor of your church, because we know, we know that you have instituted these two offices for our good. And so come, come now, meet with us through the preaching of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. We are talking about deacons this morning, and I just want to start off with one of my favorite deacon stories. It comes 
from Ephrata Bible Fellowship Church, when I first got there, a dear woman, senior saint, had a massive stroke, left her pretty much wheelchair bound. Her and her husband, who was also a deacon, lived in a double home in the city of Ephrata, and it was really hard to get her from the garage, the detached garage in the back of the house, to the house on a sidewalk that was about this wide. And so we went to work. So being the elder pastor, I went to the home and I ministered to them in the ministry of the Word and Prayer, took another deacon with me who saw this sidewalk, who who understood the struggle, called up one of his other deacons and said, let's rip this sidewalk out of here and let's make a what I call a super-duper wide highway for this gal to get down in her wheelchair and build her a ramp to get into the house. And they did. They did. And I thought, this is the... This is the picture-perfect right image of what it means to work as a team, as elders and deacons, ministering the Word and prayer, and then the deacons got to work to meet the physical needs of this family. Isn't that a beautiful story? It's a beautiful story. That's what we're after, brothers and sisters. This is what Christ died for. And I don't want you to divorce what we're talking about here and all these qualifications from the gospel itself because the gospel is what purchased these beautiful things in the Scripture. Purchased these men. Wives, if that is your interpretation, or women, He purchased the government of the church. Saving, transforming people. Saving them. Transforming people into His image where they had these qualifications and can serve the church for your good. Amen? So it's for the health of the church. That's what we said last week. That is the main theme. The main theme of this whole section, and I want to do a quick review based on time. I want to do a quick review from last week because I want to get to the million-dollar question. That is in verse 11. So, quick review. We, we looked at Acts 6 last week. Acts 6, where we saw what I feel is a prototype of the office of elder and deacon. If you remember, the church is getting bigger, physical needs are being neglected, the apostles called everybody together, said we can't give up the ministry of the word and prayer to wait on tables. The word literally means deacon, deacon the tables. Serve the people with provision. So choose seven men, they said, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom so that they can do this task, so that we do not neglect the ministry of the Word and prayer. So you got a foreshadowing of the two offices. That's what we said, where you have the elders who give themselves to the spiritual needs of the people. They're preaching the Word, they're teaching the Word, they're praying with the people. And then you have the deacons doing all kinds of physical need meeting in the church. It's a beautiful thing. So that's the first thing we discovered about the potential offices in the church that are now specifically mentioned years later when the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Timothy chapter 3. Even though the word deacon, like we said last week, it's used all over the Bible. All over the Bible in a general sense because the word means servant. And yet, the official office is recognized in 1 Timothy 3, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, when Paul addressed the Philippians as overseers and deacons. And so we said, 
The word diakonos, deacon, can have a broad sense, broad meaning, and it can have a specific sense regarding the office of deacon, which is what we have here. And then we looked at verses 8 through 10, right? That a deacon must be dignified. Dignified, remember this, he must be dignified or worthy of respect. That's what Paul means here. He must not be double-tongued, he said, meaning telling different stories to different people. He has to be trustworthy. He has to be a man of his word. He can't be devoted to alcohol, ruining his reputation inside the church and outside of the church, hindering his judgment, not taking people to Christ and His Word, being sober-minded in that way. And then he says, the Apostle Paul, he must not be a lover of money, greedy for dishonest gain, using their position to take the tithes and the offerings of benevolent help and skimming off the top like Judas did. The deacon cannot be like this, he says. And then we saw in verse 9, the deacon has to hold to the trustworthy message the, the mystery of the faith, the mystery of the Gospel. And so we said that he has to be orthodox in his beliefs. He has to be orthodox in his beliefs. He has to understand doctrine. He has to understand the Gospel that purchased him. And not just understand it with his head, he has to have a clear conscience. Embracing it, loving it, cherishing it, doing it. Not just a hearer, but a doer of the Word. So he has to be orthodox in his belief and his behavior. And then we saw that he has to be tested before he becomes a deacon. That's verse 10. He has to be tested, which I don't know about your experience, but I just wonder many times in the church, I wonder if we have neglected this too much when we have chosen deacons. We focus on their physical prowess when they need to be spiritually qualified as well. Amen? Spiritually qualified. Men full of the Holy Spirit is what we read in Acts chapter 6. And so like I said last week, the way I have gone about this is watching and observing for potential deacons who are spirit-filled men who have a propensity to serve other people. So we observe, and then if we see these things, these potential things, we tap them on the shoulder and take them through a training program. But I forgot to mention this, that I have in the past created internship programs for these kinds of people. I would love to do that again and see that established here and raise up all kinds of future elders and deacons and preachers. Amen? That gets me fired up. <laughs> to serve Christ's church. To honor the Lord Jesus. Alright. Now we come to it. Now we come to the question. What about women? What about women? This is a difficult verse. It's a difficult verse. And it got more difficult as I was reading everybody. Because people were saying different things. They were saying different things. I want to be clear about this. The people that I were reading are good, solid people. And so I don't think they were allowing culture to shape their thoughts about this text. Not the good, solid people. They're just honestly grappling and wrestling with the text. Who is Paul talking about? So it's coming from the text of Scripture. And I say that because I know, I know all the positions are probably held by people in this room who love Jesus, who love the Word, and that means we've got to be gracious with one another and our views. And I'm going to show you why. 
I'm going to show you why. And brothers and sisters, this gets to me a little bit because I love being precise. Absolutely precise. I love it, watching my life and doctrine closely. And I think the Lord does want us to be precise. But there is some room for grace in this question. So here it is. Who are the women here? Are they deacons or are they wives? So let's take a look at this word, woman. Woman. Anybody have the NASB version, New American Standard? We're all ESV people in here, aren't we? Have you got one? Yes, all right. You got woman. Maybe the new NIV, if you have that version, it's woman. ESV has wives. It has wives. Why? Here's why. Because this word in the Greek, gune, can be translated either women or wives. How do you like that one? To try to interpret. That's why leading scholars and pastors and wonderful people hold to both positions. And so here it goes. Their wives, likewise, must be, and we're going to talk about wives, women, But the first thing we want to say is they have to be qualified. Whoever these women are, they have to be qualified in spiritual things, moral qualifications, character qualifications that they must be, must be, must be. And we're going to get into this. Must be what? We'll talk about that. But let's talk about this whole question. Women or wives? Now, that's rub number one. You want to know what rub number two is? Their, look at your Bible, their wives, the word their is not their in the Greek. That would make it obvious, right? Their wives. But there's not there. You ever do this? Lord, what does it mean? What does Paul mean here? Neither does he say women deaconesses. That would have made it obvious too. (laughs) It's just wives or women. So, let's do our best here. There's been four interpretations that scholars have had over the years. Real quick. Number one, women deacons on the same level as male deacons. That's number one. Number two, deaconesses that help the deacons as a separate group without the authority of the office of deacon. Number three, assistance. Assistance to the deacons. That's what my church professor holds to. He teaches ecclesiology. Number four, the wives of deacons. So Lord help us. (laughs) As we look at the context, and what I'm going to do is, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give the argument for women, and I'm going to give the argument for wives. And then we'll ask the Lord to Help us here, and, and I, I'm going to use the word lean, okay? Lean. It's okay to lean toward one. You can lean toward one another. So you're, going to, you're going to lean toward the other position. And that's okay. That's okay. So number one. Here we go. Arguments for women deacons, according to the scholars. I already told you this one. Wives can be translated as women, and the word there is not in the original. So if Paul wanted to be specific about wives, he would have said there. Here's the number one. Number two. When he typically, and these are important, gang, when you're thinking about the Bible and you're trying to interpret it rightly. Number two, 
when he typically introduced another group of people, another category, he used the word likewise. Do you see it there in your Bible? It's there, isn't it? Verse 11. So here's the, here's the thought process. He started talking about the elders in the beginning of chapter 3. And then when he wanted to talk about the deacons, he said, deacons, likewise, in verse 8. Now, the advocates of this view say that he's going to start talking about another group of officers. So he says, likewise. So that's the flow here. An overseer must be. And the deacons, likewise, must be. And now, likewise, the women deacons must be. Must be. These moral qualifications which is another argument that they use. There's qualifications here, so this must mean an office. Another argument. Another argument that they give is the fact that Paul says nothing about the elders' wives. Nothing about their qualifications. So why would he say anything about the deacons' wives being qualified when the office of elders is so important? Make their wives so important, and he doesn't say anything about their wives. That's, I don't know what number that is. Um, next one is the fact that women deaconing would not violate 1 Timothy 2.12 when it says the women are not to teach or have authority over men. Do you remember that? They say that because deacon work is work of service and not of ruling or leading or authority or teaching so they can serve in that ministry. Another argument is Phoebe. I don't know if you remember reading about Phoebe in Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. It says this, or if you want to turn there, you can go right ahead. Paul says, I, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, diakonos, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and myself as well. The word for servant is deacon. Deacon. And again, this word could be translated in a general way, meaning servant. But the advocates of this group feel this is an office. She's representing a church. Paul is commending her for a work. So it must be serving in an official capacity as a deacon. And so those are the, those are the biblical reasons that they give for women deacons. Some scholars, they look to church history, one man said this, that it doesn't seem to be uniform or even common for women deacons, but they seem to have existed in the church. Now, that, that doesn't help me a whole lot. A governor wrote to the emperor in the second century, here's what a governor said, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. This is Pliny, Pliny the Younger, if you want to look that up, you history buffs. And so, like I said, there are many people who advocate this view. But here's what some of my heroes actually say. Phil Riken holds this view, and yet, here's what he says. Nevertheless, there are several reasons for thinking that wives may be the better translation. Again, that's why there's good people on both sides, right? So here, here's the side for the wives. Number one, the word wife, the word wife is used throughout all of these qualifications for elders and deacons. Verse two, the elder must be the husband of one 
wife. Verse 12, the deacon must be the husband of one wife. And it's the same word that Paul uses in verse 11. Gune, wife or women. But given the context of wives, it would have been natural for Paul to say wives. Number two, even though the word there is not there in the original, it doesn't have to be there in the original to make sense of what Paul is trying to bring up. And they talk about the flow here making sense because he's talking about deacons and he's talking about them being tested and then he's starting to move into the familial realm, meaning wives, wives must be, and then he talks about the household afterwards. So the flow makes more sense that it's wives rather than women. Next, they say, if he meant women deacons, he would have said women deacons. And if you say something about women deacons here, it kind of, kind of looks like Paul's schizophrenic. He's talking about male deacons. Oh, by the way, women deacons. Male deacons. So you see, do you see how, God bless them, interpreters are just trying to make sense of this, and God bless them, they're, they're really trying to get at what the Word is and says, what the Lord means here. Is it women or wives? All right. Next one, if he meant women deacons and their qualifications, and this is, this is a good point, why doesn't he say anything about their marital status? That's a major qualification for Paul. For the elder, for the deacon, even the widows to be served by the church in chapter 5. It says, Paul says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And there's nothing here about being the wife of one husband if these are women deacons. Next they say, I know this is more like a lecture, hang in there. We're just trying to get at what the Lord wants for us, right? The argument, likewise, signaling a new office too narrow, they say. Paul does this other places in his writings. They talk about different things, like back in chapter 2 where he says, he desires men to pray. Remember that? Desires men to pray. And then he says, likewise, women should adorn themselves. Totally different discussion about men and women and what they're supposed to do in the church. So it's not always... A signal that we're talking about an office. All right. Lastly, the comment about Paul not mentioning anything about the elders' wives. Here's what the wives' club says. You ready for the wives' club? They say Paul didn't have to mention anything about the elders' wives because typically the wives did not help the elders in their ministry of leading and ruling the church. Wives wouldn't have been doing that. Whereas deacons' wives, they might have been helping their husbands. Like in Acts chapter 6, I'm trying to picture, okay, how does this play out in the life of the church? Practically, Acts chapter 6, I'm sure the wives maybe have jumped in there, or even other women in the church jumped in there and helped the guys, the seven men, Help the church, right? Okay, all right. I can see that. And then they come back and they say, those seven men had some sense of authority. Some sense of authority. Remember the argument before? There's no authority in the office of deacon. No authority at all. It's just serving. And yet we see choosing seven men in Acts 6. Not everybody holds it. This is a prototype of elders and deacons. But I think it's kind of a prototype and a foreshadowing. Choose seven men 
And there had to be some sense of authority there to delegate people to serve. And so, there you have it. <laughs> Here's Phil Riken again, who holds the women deacons. He said, if he meant women deacons, Paul would have said so. The word woman is such a common term that it hardly seems sufficient to designate an office in a church. Furthermore, the word wife appears in the very next verse. It clearly means wife. It would make perfect sense for Paul to have the same women in view in both verses. Then there's the fact, he says, that the instructions for these women or wives is very brief. Hardly seems to cover the qualifications for deaconess. We are bound to conclude that by itself this verse is not sufficient to prove that women should serve in the office of deaconess. And then he says this, maybe it's better to translate it as women helpers. <sighs> like I said, there are good people on both sides. Amen? Both sides, just trying to understand the Scripture, what it means here. The Bible Fellowship Church has actually opened up the office of deacon for women to serve in it, but I think they made a wise move. Here's what they said. The local church, the local church has the authority to allow women or not based on your convictions. Isn't that a good move? I think that's a good move and a gracious move. Now, here's what I'm wondering, though, because people ask... People ask, right? Do you guys allow women deacons? So, brother elders, maybe we ought, we're BFC, man. We love study committees. Maybe we should form a study committee, brothers. They're like, let's hammer this out. Let's hammer this out. Let's form a study committee and study this issue. And at least we can come down. On, on something, right? We can come down on something and say, hey, this is where we've landed, but we totally understand why people land over here. Is that okay? I think that's okay, don't you? I hope. I do want to say this, though. We love all of the women in this room. We love their service. Even though they don't have an official title, they are helping everywhere. I love it. What in the world would we do without the Shelly Raps of the world? Starve. And there's a million Shelly Raps in here that do all kinds of things. And I'm grateful for it. Grateful for it. So thankful for all of our ladies. All right. Whew. Let's move on. Whether it's women deacons or assistants or wives, here's what we see next. They must be godly women. They must be godly women who have godly character. Look at what he says again. And these two words, they hit me like a ton of bricks. They must be. I emphasized that last week. They must be. This is not an option in God's house. So what we're going to get to next week, verse 15, this is how we ought to conduct ourselves in a household of God. They must be these things. Number one, dignified. Dignified. Just like the deacons, first qualification, verse 8. He must be dignified or worthy of respect. Which means the wife, if you hold to that view, must be worthy of respect. Or the deaconess must be worthy of respect. They must be well thought of. As a Christian Sister who knows her stuff. Christian wife who knows her stuff lives it out in a godly way. How important would this be for a wife or a deaconess who ministers to the needs of God's people? 
In a physical way, yes. Whatever that looks like, maybe providing a meal, like we see in Acts chapter 6. But I guarantee you that people, people probably would have been asking them for godly advice or godly prayer. So these women have to be godly people. They have to be dignified. They have to be worthy of respect. I remember one church, one church, and this brother deacon, he, he was an exemplary deacon. However, his wife, who I still pray for, she was seen as nasty sometimes, mean with her words, harsh with her words. People avoided her. People didn't want to get involved in the ministries that she was a part of. And that hinders, that hinders the health of a church that causes all sorts of problems. That diminishes the respect that even the husband has. And so we want a dignified wife or deaconess. Next, Paul says, must not be a slanderer. This is the word that's used for the devil. Slanderer. Malicious. Hateful. Full of false accusations that are not true about somebody. That kills the church, brothers and sisters. This kind of person spreads rumors about people. Spreads lies about people. Talks about other people in a malicious way. And they damage reputations. They crush the souls of the people with hurtful words. Words really matter, don't they? Words really matter. And if this wife or this female deacon is slandering people in the church, they're lying about them, spreading rumors about them that are not true, my goodness, she's... If stuff needs to be shared, sometimes it needs to be shared. That's fine. You've got to share it with the right people or with the leadership. But if you just start freely sharing stuff and it's not true, man, that creates all kinds of issues in the church, does it not? Mistrust. Factions. This group. Not trusting this group over here. Lord, help us. Help us to be godly. Not slanderers, not slanderers. And, and gang, I want you to think about this too. If we're talking about female deaconesses, if we're talking about wives, how intimately involved are they in people's lives? Right? They're going to people's homes. They're providing meals and needs. They might be hearing about their families. They might be hearing about their financial situation. There's all kinds of personal matters that are going on in people's lives. And when people are serving this way, they're, they're caring. And that naturally opens up people to share things. And if this person is just going around slandering, gossiping, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. We can't have somebody like that. And so we need to keep that in mind when we're choosing deacons, since that's the way we're set up currently. Next, not only... Not only should they be self-controlled with their words, they've got to be self-controlled in their minds and their judgment. This is what he means when he says sober-minded. Sober-minded. Now this word is used for alcohol, oftentimes in the Bible. Alcohol. And it's a good imagery, right? It causes all kinds of instability all over the map and judgment and thinking and emotions just out of control. But not the sober-minded person who's temperate. This can also mean temperate, self-control, mindful. This is what Paul means by the word. Sober-minded of the wife or the deaconess. This person is constantly and consistently temperate, stable, emotionally, biblically, in her character. She is godly. It doesn't mean she's perfect, but she's consistent. She's consistent. 
Those are the kind of people that we want to look for, right? Consistently godly, consistently biblical, sober-minded about judgments. Judgments. One more qualification. It's a huge qualification. Paul says that the deaconess or the wife must be faithful in all things. All things. Faithful. Faithful. That word's pistos. That, that means faith. Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus and the gospel. She believes it. She embraces it. She loves it. And not only does she love it and embrace it and believe it with every fiber of her being, she lives it out. She lives it out. This woman is faithful. She is faithful in her commitment to Jesus. She is faithful in her commitment to her husband as she's married. She is faithful in her commitment to her children. She is faithful in the church to serve Christ and to serve His people. This is the kind of woman, and you probably have somebody in mind, this is the kind of woman that you just think of and picture in your mind, you just say, she's faithful. Right? Do you have any of those? Women, there's a lot of them in here. There's a lot of them that come to my mind. She's just, she's just faithful. I love saying that about people. Just consistently faithful to Christ and in her life. It's dependable and reliable. So, gang, I want you to keep that in mind the next time we think about deacons, nominating deacons, voting on deacons. Think about it. Like I said, we're currently set up. You saw the video. We got male deacons. Think about their wives as well. Their wives. Next. Next, he's going to talk about their qualifications coming from home. They have to be qualified in their home life. They have to be good husbands and good fathers. Just like the elder. Just like the elder. Now, I'm not going to go into major detail. I don't have time. But look at verse 12. Paul says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing the children and their own households well. Well. So again, First qualification for a potential deacon in the home is to be a one-woman man. Do you remember that? One-woman man. That means he's faithfully devoted to his wife. He is not known to be a womanizer. He is faithfully devoted to his wife. He loves his wife. He's not known for running around on his wife. Oh, he cherishes his wife. He loves his wife like Christ loved the church. He talks about his wife. I love men like that. Loves his wife. Now, that doesn't mean a single man can't be a deacon. That's not what Paul's saying. Or that a divorced man can't be a deacon. I covered that in detail when we went through the eldership. Remember, if he was unconverted, if he didn't know Christ before he got married, she, I know people like this, she didn't know Christ either. They got a divorce, went and married other people, and then they married Christians, or there were biblical grounds. However, Paul does mean that consistently, track record, you need to be devoted to your current wife. Need to be devoted. You've got to have some time there where you have demonstrated complete devotion to your wife. Next, he must manage his children, and household. Well, manage. Manage. He needs to manage. What does that mean? What does it look like? That word literally means to lead and care. Lead and care for the home. The children, especially we're, look, we're seeing right here, the children, he's leading and caring for them. Spiritually caring. 
caring for their emotional development, caring for them physically and financially. This man is involved in their life. This man is a Deuteronomy 6 man who is teaching them about God consistently all the time. Applying the Gospel to their lives. I love Deuteronomy 6. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Now this is God's command to every parent, but especially I'm thinking about a deacon right here who's supposed to manage his own home. Teaching them, training them up in the admonition and discipline of the Lord. Instruction of the Lord. And again, I'm looking at a bunch of men in here and I'm seeing that, but if, if you're not doing that, remember we said before that these are character qualifications that every Christian ought to be aiming for. Men, this is what you ought to be aiming for right here. Managing your homes well, spiritually emotionally your children your children need you your children need you you're their primary teacher dad you are to show them christ to bring them to christ to apply the gospel to everyday life listen to me the lord is the lord of everything not just here he's the lord over schools he's the lord over friends he's the lord over work He's the Lord over nature. He's the Lord over the universe. He's the Lord of sports. Don't worship sports. Sports is a good thing. He's given gifts and abilities. But they will not save, satisfy. It should glorify Him. It should push you to Him and say, Thank you, Lord, for giving me these abilities. I'll never worship this thing more than you, though. I wouldn't be able to do this without you giving me life, breath, and movement. Able to train my hands. That's what David said for war. Jesus gives you everything good. Everything, brothers and sisters. Everything good. You've got to apply the gospel. That includes discipline too. When you're managing your kids, that includes discipline. Redemptive discipline that takes them to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the heart. To the heart. Take your kids. Do you think Jesus applies to selfishness and two young children fighting? Do you think Jesus speaks into that? Do you think the gospel speaks into that? You better believe it does. You better believe it does. Bring Jesus into everything. Ah, that's why I said you can't divorce anything from the gospel. Not a thing. All right. I got a minute and a half. I'm going to do it. Two rewards, deacons. Potential deacons. I want you to see this. Two rewards. Rewards are good. Biblically good. Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So you see the first reward there for serving well. Serving well. You're not double-tongued. You know these things that we read here. You're not addicted to much wine. You're not living a double life. You're not greedy for money. You're honestly serving God's people like Jesus served us. You're doing that. You're serving well. You're caring for people. You're waiting on tables like we saw in Acts 6. I just want to say this. Great is your reward. Deacons, does that excite you? Great is your reward. I used to see Jesus saying that in a sermon on the mount. Great is your reward. Are you persecuted? Great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward. I love this. Now this literally means to actually gain another grade or rank. Some people 
I think misinterpret this in saying that, okay, if they serve well, that means they can advance to eldership. I don't, I don't see that in the text. I don't see that as a qualification. And you don't want to put somebody in there that's not able to teach to be an elder. So I know a lot of churches have functioned that way, you know, serve as a deacon first. Some guys have gone through that. They were tested, worked with groups first, and then they're a de- an elder. But that's only if the man's called to be an elder and able to teach. Deacon, that's another calling. And it's a good office. It's a good office with a reward. And the reward is a good reputation. A good standing. A good standing with God and other people. Good reputation. The second one. Oh, I love the second one. It's greater faith in the Lord Jesus. Greater faith. Look what he says. They also gain great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. What a glorious reward. I don't think there's a greater reward on the planet than this. Greater confidence. Greater confidence. It means greater assurance in the faith that a deacon already has. Hear me cloud and clear. Deacon already has faith. He's saved. But as he serves, his faith gets stronger. Stronger. Deeper. Wider. And it's a closer walk with Christ. Who wants a closer walk with Jesus? Nothing better than a close walk with Jesus. Personal walk with Jesus. It comes through service, Paul is saying here. It'll solidify, I'm sure. Man, oh, great rewards, great rewards. And I'm out of time. So, to wrap up our study of deacons, here's what I want to say as we apply it. Let's apply this, current deacons, and evaluate ourselves. By fulfilling the biblical commands. If so, praise God. Hallelujah. Some of you are wondering, questioning, maybe saying, no, that's okay. You know what? We can take a break. Work on these things. And we'll get you to deaconing again. That's how it works. It's okay. Potential deacons. Look for potential deacons and elders in the church. Watch out for them. Please tell us if you see potential elders and deacons in the church. And we want to take them through this. Like I said earlier, nothing gets me more fired up than raising up people to serve God's churches, whether in this church or out there. Amen? For the advancement of the kingdom of God. So let's, let's do this. Let's do this. Father, we come before You. Thank You for Your Word. I'm so grateful for Your Word. Where would we be without Your Word? We thank You for all the elders in this room. I thank You for all the deacons in this room. I thank You for all of the deacons' wives in this room. I thank You for all of the women who are, or who are serving, probably in the view that my professor holds, as assistants. There's women serving everywhere in this church, Lord. Thank You, thank You, thank You. That is Your church. You bought all of these people with Your blood. You saved them from their sin. You've given them the Spirit to serve in Your church so that we become healthier and healthier and more God-glorifying. That's what we want and long for, Lord Jesus, so continue to fill us with Your Spirit and help us to submit ourselves to Your every word for the health and growth of us all. Thank You. Thank You so much for the Gospel. Thank You so much for the church. Thank You so much for the people of God. And we continue to ask for your greatest blessing upon our church to be faithful to you. And all of God's people said, Amen.